Here at Morningside Presbyterian, we talk a lot about journeying. Journey together is something of a motto these days, because journey is an apt word for life in general and faith in particular, because it connotes movement, progress, change, growth. And discipleship is indeed a journey together with God. Well, today's gospel text connects with two journeys, each intended to help us move closer to awe of God and connection with God. Because we are better equipped for the journey of discipleship when we recognize that God is both infinitely beyond us and also intimately with us. The first of these two journeys is the journey of Jesus and his disciples in ancient Palestine. In the gospel, Jesus has just made a sharp turn toward the cross. After taking the scenic route of feeding and healing, teaching and preaching, astounding the crowds and infuriating the authorities, Jesus has suddenly asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, was blessed with the right answer. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. As if that were the cue he'd been waiting for, Jesus immediately set his course for Jerusalem. And the first step of that fateful journey was to plainly tell his disciples that he must suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised. It's a foretelling that Jesus will repeat twice more. But Peter exclaimed, God forbid it, let this never happen to you, Lord, which earned from Jesus that famous rebuke, get behind me, Satan. And then things got even worse as Jesus issued the least inviting invitation ever. If any want to become my followers, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That is now the journey. And Jesus is figuring out how to help his disciples, including us, make it to their destination. And thus we have today's story. This is Matthew chapter 17, beginning with the first verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground. They were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. 
And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you catch that last thing that Jesus said? Jesus named this overwhelming experience a vision. Within the New Testament, which is laced through and through with miracles and wonders, this is a particularly strange story because it's a vision, an apocalyptic vision. Now, scholars will tell you that the function of an apocalyptic vision is to permit a glimpse of heaven's otherwise hidden hand, to reveal what is usually veiled. I need to add that ever since Minerva McGonagall, professor of, yes, transfiguration, taught Harry Potter's class to change mice into snuff boxes, we've had this idea that transfiguration is a matter of turning one thing into some other thing. And what we need to know is that biblical transfiguration is not that. This transfiguration is not changing something into something it isn't. This transfiguration is revealing what the subject most truly is. In other words, this transfiguration is an epiphany. And that introduces the other journey that this text connects with, the journey through the liturgical calendar that we modern disciples follow. Today is the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany. The season began with the Magi following a star that revealed Jesus as the only king worthy of worship. And then it moved to the River Jordan, where a voice from heaven revealed Jesus to be God's beloved son. And now it culminates with Jesus revealed in awe-inspiring, physics-defying glory. Here Jesus is transfigured into, revealed to be, light. His face shines as blindingly bright as the sun, and his clothes are dazzling white. Literally, the text says his clothes were as white as light. This epiphany reveals Jesus as he truly is. He is infinitely more than mere humanity. Adding to the disciples' astonishment, the long-dead Moses and Elijah suddenly are seen conversing with Jesus, thus revealing that Jesus is not in conflict with God's law, presented through Moses, or with God's prophets, represented by Elijah. Jesus is revealed as their fulfillment, not their negation. And then all of this is suddenly wrapped in a bright cloud. Again, a more literal translation would be a cloud full of light, a cloud made of light, a cloud of light so palpable that it overshadows them. And from this cloud of light comes a voice, a divine voice, repeating the blessing spoken over Jesus at his baptism. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And the voice adds, Listen to him. 
Peter, James, and John collapse in astonished terror. Who could imagine any journey, including such an epiphany? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus, this one who is God's son, this one who is glorious light, what does Jesus do? He touches them. That takes my breath away. The same touch that cures the blind, heals the possessed, mends the broken. But here it is directly connected with Jesus transfigured, Jesus revealed, Jesus glorified. This one who is infinitely beyond us in power and mystery is also intimately with us in the comfort of human touch. This apocalyptic vision is meant to equip all of Jesus' disciples, then and now, as each of us continues on the journey this text offers us. For Peter and James and John, the journey was literal as they immediately trekked back down the mountain and stepped back onto the dusty road leading to Jerusalem, to Gethsemane, to Golgotha. For us, the journey is metaphorical, the journey of life, the journey of faith, but our path now also turns toward the cross. The journey of Lent is upon us. The season of Epiphany, when we ponder how God reveals who Jesus is, that season concludes today, delivering us to the doorstep of Lent, the season that reveals who we are. As we prepare for that inward journey, for that challenging road of repentance, we are equipped by remembering that the one who walks with us is power and glory beyond our imagining and also so attuned to our humanity as to touch us and quiet our fears. Tradition holds that the transfiguration occurred on Mount Tabor, but the story takes me to Mount Elgon. Mount Elgon is an extinct volcano that straddles the border between Uganda and Kenya. And when I was a little girl living with my family in Nairobi, we decided to climb it. The idea came when my parents met a Peace Corps volunteer who was living in a village on Mount Elgon and offered to bring her a big load of supplies. The plan developed that we would drive to the town of Kitale and there we would hire a driver with a Land Rover capable of getting us all the way up to the village. There we would unload all the stuff, the driver would leave, we'd spend the night in the village, and then hike around on Mount Elgon and eventually work our way back down to our little white Puzo station wagon. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, we got off to a late start, forfeiting valuable daylight, and then the road up to the village was really rough. Elephants will do that to a road. Yes, Mount Elgon is famous for elephants. And then, as night is falling, the rain began. All those things combined to bring us to the moment where the driver lost track of the road and the Land Rover ended up hopelessly mired in mud and brush. What to do? What to do? We can't all stay in the 
Rover because only the bench-like front seat is free from all those supplies. And we can't all hike to the village because we have no idea how much farther it is and my little brother is only six years old. So my dad and my two older brothers took the only flashlight and protected only by ponchos, headed up off the mountain. Sitting there in the Land Rover, the driver, my little brother, my mother, and I watched as that swaying flashlight beam just disappeared into the deluge. Here in Atlanta, we have no idea what dark really is. Even in a power outage, our phones shine forth. But on a rainy night in rural Kenya, the darkness was so deep as to make light seem impossible. When that flashlight disappeared, the Land Rover was suspended in darkness that was impenetrable, that left me scared, blind, cold, hungry, completely unfit for any journey. After a while, I felt my mother shift in the seat beside me. We were skin to skin, and yet I could not see her. But I felt as she leaned forward and opened the glove compartment. Light! We sat transfixed, staring at this little box of light. And then my mother, in that miracle-making way that parents are occasionally able to have, my mother reached into the box of light and pulled out a loaf of bread. I kid you not, and if you don't believe me, that's just because you don't know my mother. She wasn't trying to set up a magic trick. She had just stowed the bread there because with all the boxes and bins in the back of the rover, she didn't want the loaf of bread to get mashed. Well, there it was. And I'll tell you something else. Because the glove compartment rests right up against the engine, that bread was warm. The four of us ate the entire loaf, as much for comfort as for food. And then my mother leaned forward again and closed the glove compartment. Because one thing that would make the situation worse is if the battery went dead on that old Land Rover. Night, thick as pitch, reclaimed the space. But now it wasn't so bad because having seen that light, I knew it was there. Even if it wasn't immediately visible in that moment, I knew it was there. And that has been enough to equip me for many journeys. Surely that is why Jesus takes his disciples up that mountainside. He knows what lies ahead for him and for his followers. He's even told them, and it didn't go well. And so he gives them this vision of his glory to equip them as they begin the journey to the cross. Our journey as disciples parallels theirs. It's less dusty, less bloody, less harrowing. But if we are truly walking the path of discipleship, Lent will ask a lot. So, as we prepare to make that journey together, 
I pray we do it with the transfiguration lighting our way, equipping us with the calming confidence that our God is both infinitely beyond us and also intimately with us. To God be the glory. Alleluia. Alleluia. Say it with me. Alleluia. Amen.